0: Christ is risen. Indeed he Christos vos cresce. Christino Christos en este. I'd like to begin by congratulating Mary Josephine and her family, and to all of us. We received a new member into the body of Christ. It is a day for great celebration. I also want to congratulate and thank and ask God's blessing upon all our mothers. Our mothers, our grandmothers, our godmothers, those who acted motherly in their love and charity that they've shown others. The greatest gift, one of the great gifts that God has given us is a mother. Not only His own mother, but our mothers gathered here today. I think of my own mother, and I know I always put her on a pedestal, and in reality she had her difficulties, but gosh, she's my mother and I love her dearly. And I give thanks to God always for her. And today is also the World Day of Prayer for Vocations. So we pray for vocations for the universal church. It happens to fall on Mother's Day here in the States, but throughout the world we're praying for vocations. So last night we took special petitions. Uh, Today we will just take a prayer at the end of liturgy uh, for vocations. Mothers, again, are a powerful force for inspiring their children to vocations to the priesthood, diaconate, religious, and monastic life. Mothers have a powerful influence. By your example of how you love, teaches others how to love God and how to receive that love and fostering in their hearts the desire to serve the Lord in that capacity. So it is truly a wonderful day. We heard our gospel today of the paralytic. We've ended our Sunday gospel readings about the resurrection. Up to this point, we've heard Sunday after Sunday, a few Sundays now, about the resurrection. But we've done, ended those pericope, and you will only hear the resurrection gospels at Matins on Sundays. So now we start hearing about our Lord's ministry. And we hear a lot about the paralytic, a man who had been uh, on a, his bed for 38 years, that basically is one dead, has a desire to be healed or he wouldn't have been at the sheep pool. And we hear about Jesus coming and asking him, do you want to be healed? And he goes on and on about how he can't get into the pool. And then Jesus tells him those powerful words, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And he stands up, and he begins to feel that his body is responding to his mind, his muscles seem to be suddenly strong, everything is working together, and he's walking around in great joy. But did you notice something else? Did you see between the lines what was happening? Did it strike you? Of giving you an insight into this person of Jesus? We think Jesus just walks along and then things happen just the way they're going to happen. But Jesus is very much in control of what he is doing. Jesus will not coerce anybody's free will. Okay, He's not going to touch anybody's free will. But he's going to work around everything to get his will accomplished. And so let's look at this gospel again. Jesus comes up to the man. Do you want to be healed? Eventually, Jesus says, Stand up. And the key is pick up your mat and walk. It's the Sabbath. Jesus could have waited one more day. What's one more day in 38 years, really? What's one more day? But Jesus was looking to press His word forward, His mission forward. So He knew it was the Sabbath and He knew what it was going to cause when He said to the man, pick up your mat. The man picked up the mat and he got the desired response he wanted. What was that response? The Jews came up to Him and said, you're not supposed to carry that mat, it's the Sabbath. Jesus was looking for a confrontation. He wanted to make sure that he had this confrontation of his mission, which was interior love, was what he was trying to spread as compared to their understanding of the external observances of the law as they interpreted it. And it brought it about. But Jesus knew that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to get that point across. Who is it that said to, heal, to pick up your mat and walk? I don't know. So what happens? The man goes to the temple to give thanks to God as his right for his healing. And Jesus shows up. And he talks to him and says, now, don't sin anymore. Something worse will come upon you. Now, somewhere in that conversation, that man that was healed learned Jesus' name. Because when Jesus departed, what did he do? He went and told the leaders that it was Jesus who healed him. And then, of course, if we read further in the gospel, we would see that Jesus got what he wanted. The Pharisees wanted to put him to death, not only for this event of healing on the Sabbath, but because later on he would call himself God's son. Jesus wanted to press forward His mission. He wanted to bring about our salvation. He wanted to undergo His passion, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And through the way that only God can work, He brought it about. Now, what does this mean? For weeks now, I have been meditating upon the cross, his passion, his his burial, his resurrection. Where does all this intersect in my life? That's what I want to know. Give me something tangible I can hang on to. Give me something to sink my teeth into. Ah, now there's something, something I can sink my teeth into. How do we live out this passion, death, and resurrection in our day? And that's only brought about by one thing, the Holy Eucharist. Because in the Holy Eucharist, it's the culmination of all of that. Together, when we partake of our Lord, we are partaking of all of that. Now, Before we were received in the church, before Mary Josephine was received fully into the church, she was in the narthex. That's where paralytics are. That's where sinners are. To come into the church, she can't do that, and you and I can't do that on our own. We needed help. What was that help? We needed our Lord. He is the one that is the means by bringing us from the narthex into the church. We all know, you probably do, a common Christian verse that a lot, of, a lot of people memorize. They have it stitched on hats. They have it stitched on backpacks. John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever should believe in Him should not die but have life everlasting. Well, that will get you from the narthex here. But we're called to be more than just a friend of Jesus. We're called to something greater, something deeper, something more intimate, and something more lasting. Why doesn't any Catholic go around and stitch on their hats and their backpacks? John 6.54. A few verses before John 6.54 it says, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. John 64, then will go on and say, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. Jesus says, take and eat, take and drink. That's what gets us the rest of the way. We're commanded to eat When Jesus says take and eat and eat, the Greek word, the translation is to grind. You haven't completed your obligation, if you want to use that word, your Sunday embrace of our God unless you've ground the body of Christ in your mouth. And if we found that we've done something that prevents me from communing with our Lord, then we need to go to the narthex until we receive confession and then come in and be received back in. Jesus wants more than just a buddy friendship. He uses the words of a marital relationship, the marital embrace, that deep union. And he knew that only we needed something tangible, so he gave us the holy gift of the Eucharist. And it doesn't become us. We become what we partake of. I think Augustine said that. We become the body of Christ. We become Christ. The Father begins to recognize His Son in us because He dwells in us. Our mission, which is evangelization in the church, is to bring people to the narthex and from the narthex into here, into John 3.16, but that's not enough, that's not complete. We need to go all the way to John 6.54. And eat and drink, that we may have eternal life. Jesus drove hard to bring this about. He raised paralytics. He healed the blind, the leper, the deaf, the mute. He cured on the Sabbath to raise the attention between himself and the leaders, to change about the mentality and bring in a new covenant. That covenant is the Eucharist. It is the crowning achievement of our faith that Christ has given us. It's what makes us unique. It's what makes us part of the heavenly kingdom. So let us stop living as paralytics. And let's not just be, Jesus is a friend of mine. But let's be in communion with him. A deep union with Him, to the point where He and I, I no longer see a separation. I'm part of Him. We are called to be full members of Christ. When we hear about the early church, we see how paramount the Eucharistic life is. We hear about Paul telling us in Corinthians about how the Eucharist was celebrated in the very, very primitive church. Later on, Justin the martyr gives us a wonderful detailed account, and he lived in the second century of what it looked like. He said that we would come together. Then the reflections of the apostles, he says, which are the Gospels, in quotations. And the prophets would be read as time allowed. The presbyter would then get up and give an exhortation to encourage and strengthen us. Then we would pray. Then bread and wine would be brought in. The presbyter would give thanks to the best of his ability. And then the body and blood of our Lord, the bread would be broken and distributed. And then the deacon would take that to those who could not make it to the assembly. Basil the Great, in one of his orations, would talk about it. The need for frequent communion. He would say that for himself, he received on Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, and when the Feast of a Martyr was celebrated. Of course, he didn't have as big a martyology as we have today. Then he would go on to say, in times of distress, it's not uncommon for people to take the Eucharist home when they're being challenged persecuted as a way for them to have some means of getting strength because they couldn't come to the assembly. He said that was permissible, and maybe one day we might have to go to that. God forbid. But we know that was ended with because of abuses. But it was that important, the Eucharist, to carry us through through the week. And we are called to hold it to that same high standard. It should be the very center of our lives. Our whole world should focus around the Eucharist. Everything we do should prepare us for it. And the way we live our life should reflect the Eucharist we just received. Let us not be paralytics. Let's eat the body and blood of our Lord without condemnation on our heads through our own sinfulness. Let's strive for holiness. Because if we eat His body and drink His blood, We will have eternal life, and He will raise us up on the last day. Not somebody else, but He will raise us up. Christ is risen. Indeed, He is risen.